The reading tonight is taken from Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 22, which can be found on page 1047. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he's made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside, knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, that by it we can know you and know your plan for us. Help us this evening to listen to what you're saying, and by your spirit, change our hearts to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is in and who is out? It's a question that fascinates us, isn't it? The days of gentlemen's clubs might be mostly over now, but people still love to be a member of something that other people are not. Golf clubs, political parties, societies. And at a basic level, we often do the same thing ourselves in our friendship groups. It may just be a subconscious thought, But we want to know, is that person in our group or out? And even churches can end up like that sometimes. A new person comes along and they're very much out until it's decided that they are enough like everyone else. They're not going to upset the balance and so they can be in. So it's no wonder that that question asking that question of the kingdom of God is so emotive. Who gets into heaven and who doesn't? I've heard people say many times something along the lines of, if God will forgive anyone, then someone like Hitler might be in heaven, so I don't want to be there. Or perhaps even more tellingly, even if heaven is real, I wouldn't want to be there. None of my friends are going to be there. Maybe you've heard similar objections. Or we can look around us at a secular country with only a small Christian minority, which itself seems to be divided into many factions, fighting among themselves. And we can wonder how many are really going to make it into heaven. Well, over the last few weeks, 
we've been looking at this middle part of Luke as Jesus is continuing his journey towards Jerusalem. And we've heard him teaching on what the kingdom of God looks like. Small beginnings, but much transformation and growth. And we heard about being ready for the kingdom to come, being watchful and waiting. But that leaves a fairly key question. Who is actually going to be in the kingdom? So, someone comes up to Jesus and asks, are only a few people going to be saved? It seems like a fairly reasonable theological question. After all, the Jews thought they knew who was going to be saved. The Israelites, God's chosen people. Sure, a few God-fearing Gentiles might get in, and some Jews might have been too far gone, but basically, if Abraham features in your family tree, you're in. But Jesus has been teaching some rather surprising things. We've heard about a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit, that he's come to divide and not bring peace. It almost sounds like he's rejecting God's promises to Israel. So, the guy asks for some clarity on how many people will be saved. But Jesus, as usual, sees what's really going on in the listeners' hearts, and he answers a different question. Rather than concentrating on how many people are going to be saved, whether you get to be part of an exclusive club, or whether just anyone gets let in. Jesus wants them to worry about themselves. He turns the question from, are only a few people going to be saved, into, are you going to be saved? And we're going to see that uh, with two descriptions of of a door. So first, strive to enter the narrow door. Look at verse 24. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. I don't know how that makes you feel today when toleration is the name of the game. It's not popular to say there's only one way to God, one way to heaven. It's even less popular to say what would happen if you're not on that way, those who are not able to enter. But Jesus is clear. It's not all, lead, all roads lead to Rome, as it were. There aren't many paths leading upwards that all reach the mountaintop in the end. No, salvation is reached through a narrow door. And if the door is narrow, that means we can't just expect to end up at the destination, taking every turn we choose. If the target is small, we need to know that we're aiming for the right thing and that we're actually hitting the thing we're aiming for. That takes work. It's very easy to point a gun at a target, but 
it takes lots of practice to hit the bullseye every time. So, Jesus tells us to make every effort, to work hard, almost as an athlete trains for their discipline. You might have seen there's been a few news stories recently of unexpected marathon successes. Sarah Sellers, a 26-year-old nurse, came second in the Boston Marathon in only her second competitive race. And in fact, the winner of the men's race that day was Yuki Kawachi, a government clerk. But although they might have been might not have been professionals with a team and sponsors behind them. They didn't just rock up and give it a go. They trained and trained and trained. You see, winning a marathon is not a passive action. Much time and energy and effort goes into it. It requires dedication to the goal, to reaching the finish line, And so does our salvation. If we are only vaguely interested in it, we're not going to achieve it. That means it should consume our whole attention and affect our whole lives. It's going to require us to reevaluate the things we do, the way we spend our money, just as athletes have to consider the food they eat, the training they do. Now, making time to read your Bible every day, it's not going to make you right with God, but it is going to help you to focus on what is important to him. Giving up a a hobby to make time to meet with other Christians might show that you care more about God and his church than yourself. Or... Even giving up serving the church in one particular way in order that we have more time to get to know those who don't know Jesus. Or not going to certain parties. Or not having particular apps on our phones. These are all the kind of choices that we're going to have to make if we're fully committed to reaching that door. Now, as I say this, I recognise... Some of you will be feeling weary here tonight, struggling to battle a particular sin or just to keep going as a Christian. Don't be surprised that life is like this. It is going to take effort to live for Christ. But be encouraged to carry on with the goal in sight, with the Spirit's help. Others, though, might be finding life easy. You've been going to church your whole lives. You know all the answers. It's worth checking yourself to make sure you're not just coasting. That you're really making sure you're making every effort, striving to live for God in all you do. So, strive to enter the narrow door. Is that where you are today? Are we making every effort to live with Jesus as Lord? 
Or are we just merely drifting along, hoping that we'll end up in the right place anyway? Well, the next few verses expand on this image. Not only is the door narrow, but it's going to close. So, secondly, don't miss the closing door. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. The risk is not just whether you're going to make it to the right or wrong place, but if you'll be too late. And we're not told when this door is going to close, only that it is going to happen. And that means procrastination is not an option. I think some of us are are definitely deadline people, aren't we? We'll know that we have an essay to write weeks in advance, but it's not until a day before it's due in that we actually sit down and write something. And that can work sometimes when you know what the due date is. But Imagine that you've been given a piece of work to do and the teacher doesn't give you a deadline. Instead, they're just going to walk into class one day and ask for it to be handed in, there and then. It could be the day after it was set. It could be months later on. I hope you'd be much more likely to get on with writing it rather than risk getting zero. So, how much more then when it's our eternal future that we're talking about? When this day comes, it will be obvious to those locked out that they've made a terrible mistake. They have not been making every effort to reach the door. And so they've missed out. We'll see next week that This pains Jesus greatly. But for now, we need to take the time to make sure that we're on the right side of that door when it closes. We can't afford to put off making that effort until we've got more time, feeling more settled, because it might be too late. And this doesn't just affect ourselves. It affects how we relate to others as well. If there's a time when it's going to be too late, we're going to be wanting everyone to be able to hear and respond before that time. Putting off inviting a colleague to church or a classmate along to Unite in order that we don't get embarrassed or until we get to know them better, it's much harder to justify when we realize the urgency of their situation. If we love those around us and recognize that the time is limited, we'll be persistent as we tell them about Jesus. So what's the difference between those that make it through and those don't? Well, to those many 
that will try and enter and will not be able to. The owner says, I don't know you or where you come from. How could you not know us, they respond. We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But the owner is clear. I don't know you or where you came from. Now, when I was awarded my Duke of Edinburgh's Gold Award, I was invited to St. James's Palace. I shook hands with Prince Edward um, and Ray Mears, and I listened to them give speeches. They presented me with my award. But if, I, if after that brief encounter, I suddenly claimed to be best friends with Ray Mears or turned up at Prince Edward's door, I'd be laughed at or even arrested in the latter case. (laughs) Simply having some form of familiarity is not enough for me to do that. Nor is it enough for the people in our parable. Jesus says he doesn't know them because they didn't really know him. If they did, they would have made some kind of response when they were given the chance. But instead, they are called evildoers. Despite having him in their midst and hearing his warnings, they have continued to live for themselves rather than striving to enter the narrow door. So there's a challenge here. If at this point you've been nodding along, you've been in church a long time, You do all the right things. Hear Jesus' warning. It's just as possible today to look like you're heading in the right direction, but not really know Jesus as your Saviour and Lord. As it was for the Jews, who looked righteous, but rejected him. So, we've seen that the entrance to the kingdom is narrow, And so it needs effort to reach. And that it will not be open forever. And these things mean that it's those in the kingdom might not be who we expect. Jesus sums up his teaching with some famous words in verse 30. Indeed, there are some who are last who will be first, and first, who will be last. The Jews thought that they would be unclean if they ate with Gentiles. But Jesus tells them, people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Far from being an exclusive club, just reserved for people of a certain race, the kingdom will be filled with people from all over the world. Those who have been regarded as last, scorned by those considered righteous, these people will have their own place reserved for them at the table. And not only will people we don't expect be there, But those we do expect won't be. 
Verse 28, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. These descendants of Abraham, who are devoutly religious, they're good people. They're thrown out because they've trusted themselves, their own good deeds, and their nationality and it doesn't work. So we're going to be very surprised when this day comes. Just as the Gentiles would have been shocked to see so many Gentiles, so just as the Jews would have been shocked to see so many Gentiles in the kingdom and their own people left out, there will be lifelong, dedicated church members who won't be at the feast because although they were familiar with Jesus, they never really knew him. And there will be people we completely ruled out, who we said could surely never be saved, sitting at the table. But the amazing thing is that that actually applies to us as well. If we really think about ourselves, we are not among the first. We might not describe ourselves as evildoers or the worst, but we would be kidding ourselves if we said we really treat God well enough to have a place at his table. But Jesus was first, above all others, and yet he humbled himself to become last, dying on the cross that we may make the opposite journey to join him at the feast. So, who will inherit the kingdom? Who gets to be in and who is out? Well, we've seen Jesus warn that it's not who we're expecting because the door is narrow and it will not be open forever. We've heard him ask, will you be in the kingdom? So if you're here tonight investigating, checking out what this Jesus guy has to say, that's great. It's really great you're here. But don't make the mistake of thinking it's just an academic exercise, that you can choose the path that suits you or that it's not urgent. Jesus claims to be the only way to salvation. And his offer is not forever. There is a time when it will be too late. That's worth thinking about. So keep exploring, but make sure you make a decision at some point and respond to Jesus. It will be the best thing you ever do as a place is reserved for you at the feast. If, on the other hand, you are a Christian, there are two challenges to take away. We need to make sure we're making every effort to enter that narrow door, to be more than just familiar with Jesus so that we can be sure that he will welcome us in. And then we can look forward to that day 
when we take our places at the feast, certain that there is a place reserved for us. And don't leave those around you to miss out. This time, people are given a chance to respond will not last forever. So as we seek to tell others, we should be persistently urgent. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us to find our own way to salvation, but that you sent your Son as the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to not stop at familiarity with him or to be complacent, but to truly respond with repentance and faith and to strive for the kingdom with the help of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.